0: Welcome to What's Left To Do, I'm your host, Janelle. There were lots of moving parts that had to come together to make this week's episode possible and I am so proud to be able to bring you this episode with Brianna Joy Gray. As you all probably know, she's an attorney turned journalist who served as Bernie's national press secretary in 2020. As you all probably didn't know, she grew up abroad and therefore not particularly plugged into American politics. I'm not even gonna try and summarize all that we discussed about her life and how she understands things now just know that we went over so much that it required a bonus episode in addition to part two of her story over on the Patreon. So, without further ado, the Rihanna Joy Gray. All right, uh, where are we going to start? Where I think we're going to start is, your girl has made it. <laughs> Why? Why do you say that, Janelle? Because you kind of say that in a different way just about every every episode. Also, I've been drinking, so this will be fun. Um, we are sitting with the person who literally had to meet the press for Bernard in 2020. Uh, please don't come at her with some half-baked, half-stepping ass take. She will elegantly, but g- elegantly, gently, but incisively gather you. We, me, you, all 22 listeners, um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we will be speaking with Brianna Joy Gray today. How
1: are
2: you doing, Brianna? I'm doing very well, Janelle. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me. Okay,
0: she's being real She's being real nice right now because I... Okay, like 10 of you know me and know that I just talked to fucking everybody for hours on end. I have been in her dwelling... <laughs> For the like, like the last five hours before we started recording, we have gone over it all. And I hope she still has a little bit left in the tank. I, I've kept stuff fresh. It's going to be fresh. You got it fresh. I'm a professional. It's going to be fresh. Oh, and she had the nerve to be... Um... Serving me tequila. So, and we, and if you listen to Doreen's it's episode, you know that that's just. The nectar
2: of the gods.
0: It's not going to be good. My stars. But she did. What Tell me the three things about tequila again because I didn't know this and this is going to help somebody.
2: <laughs> okay. Like, I want to say, I want to preface this by saying that I'm open to endorsement deals. That's like, right. I won't right. work
0: for the that's George right. Clooney tequila company. That's right. She got bills to pay. This is just
2: free. This is free labor. I'm doing it anyway. That's correct. Uh, I might as well get compensated for my labor. Mm-hmm um the three things are that it's a natural probiotic
0: number one that means
2: healthy gut healthy gut which means if you exclusively imbibe tequila all evening the next day you're gonna be regular correct that's right um the other thing is the only alcohol that's a stimulant rather than a depressant i did
0: not know that's maybe that's why motherfuckers start fighting when they when they drink tequila correct
2: people get energized now (laughs) that gives it a bad kind of woo woo girl reputation like oh we're gonna do tequila shots but if you drink it in cocktails, I'm not telling you to chug a lug it. That's correct.
0: That's correct. <laughs> and also,
2: don't mix it with other
0: things. The reason you that's feel where sick, I, that's where I mess up.
2: Yeah, okay. no, just drink tequila soda and lime, or like what I prepared with you for you today. I put that's a little right. sugar in it so that it's. More... Let me tell
0: you about this thing because she because you're obviously not here right now. Miss Thing is grand. She has she has vintage Swarovski and cake. <laughs> cocktail glass. There's nobody Swarovski's <laughs> up in here. <laughs> a, little, a little garnish of fresh strawberry on the rim. I was like, okay, bitch. I mean, if you're gonna Venmo me for, you know, these $15 cocktails later, you need to give me a heads up because I will keep Sucking these homes down. Okay. <laughs> no, look, presentation is key. But she is grand. <laughs> these things, like, these are things that, like, Frank Sinatra used to drink out of. Is yes, she 100%? See? Is she <laughs> like, not even going to try the aesthetic. and
2: hide it? Look, it's a simple drink and a fancy glass. Um, a tequila slitted with lime with some muddled strawberries that I happen to have around. And I put a little bit of sweetener in it for you because I know that
0: wow drag no. me because I drink sugar it's I, just a little I bit I intake sugar it's yeah just... I'm not a good healthy millennial
2: but <laughs> well no the thing you have to worry about with the sugar is that it will it will give you the hangover but the third thing is that it, tequila will not give you a hangover if you don't mix it with other things okay. the next
0: I'm day I'm gonna try that that's gonna be like a natural experience no matter
2: how much you drink you can really take it to the head <laughs> to yep. be honest You'll and be okay the next day. you will be okay the next day. Okay. All right.
0: I like what you. This is this is me being tipsy and making a ham fisted <laughs> transition. She said it is a fancy drink in a simple glass. You know what else is is fancy? What? Um, concrete universal um material benefits for working people. Simple glass. Indeed politics or did I have that reverse I don't yeah, know what it's the a little fuck bit reversed, but everyone reversed. understands
2: everybody's following everyone thank you
0: oh, fuck. I, I, <laughs> I could I should have stopped running my mouth three years ago three three years three hours ago so that I had some awareness about it. anyway I messed that up I meant to I, I should have reversed it anyway yes
2: whatever. a a simple drink thank and you. a fancy glass yeah thank I was you. thinking about that this morning Truly, as I was um tidying up my bathroom right. in anticipation of your arrival. Thank you so much. And I had stopped to take some notes for potential <laughs> Substack posts because mm. I was thinking about um persuasion. Okay. And how so much of what the left talks about is mm. how, you know, our ideas are popular. Why can't we get them passed? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. There's this enormous gap between what Democrats are willing to fight for and what the people that they elected them actually want. Mm-hmm. And I was I was listening to a less progressive podcast. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Pod Save America, and mm. somebody said something that seemed part and parcel of this broader liberal project, which is to convince folks that persuasion doesn't work.
0: Ah, mm-hmm. <laughs> persuade them that it's persuasion not about persuasion. Yeah.
2: They never ta- if you don't if you believe that persuasion doesn't work, you mm. never have to talk about policy. Yeah. And instead, you talk exclusively about demographics as a path to
0: victory. That's right.
2: To so talk about voting rights and um, restricting access to the ballot, which is an, undoubtedly an important issue. Of course. But it's a way to get at how to get out votes without talking about convincing people. That's it's about right. the structural barriers, which are important.
1: That's right.
2: But you don't have to talk about policy. Right. Um, they talk about demographic changes, the declining white. That don't you know mean demographics shit. growing latino mm-hmm. numbers you had you know a person i consider to be a comrade but whom i don't always agree with michael moore hmm. recently upsetting people with a tweet about you know celebrating the declining white birth rate even though so much of that has to do with the opioid crisis and things we shouldn't be celebrating right. and
0: just people not identifying as white anymore for you know, you know, leg up diversity reasons, but that's something else. Uh-huh.
2: Sure, they, they were ta- yeah, they were talking a little bit about, about that on the um, on the Pod Save episode, and I was thinking about the utility of that project mm-hmm. um, and how people, I think, in good faith, ha! subscribe to that idea, mm-hmm. and they a lot of liberals think, you know. The, you know, there's good people and there's deplorables. There's yep. no point in trying to convince them. If you try to ever flip a voter, it means you are going to sell out some aspect of your yep. own agenda and that you're catering to racists and blah, blah, blah. Yep, that's right. right. And there's just no kind of consciousness of the fact that, you know, Obama won twice because he was able to get the sliver Being of white Americans us. yeah, who you can say what you want to say about who they are on the deep down inside, but they voted for Obama that's and they got right. him in office.
0: That's right. That's, right. Right? that's right.
2: And, you know, what that does is it, it obscures the extent to which we have a really simple drink that lots of people like.
0: Oh, come on. You better bring it back. <laughs> yes.
2: It's a really simple drink that appeals to a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And it's being obscured in this way. That reality is being obscured
1: mm-hmm.
2: by the liberal media in a way that is really quite invisible. Yeah, much like... Right
0: a glass that's why y'all pay her the big bucks okay that's why she is the queen of the pay to the tree to the yon (laughs) thank you for doing what i couldn't do on my own goddamn show that's so fabulous um that's cool way to way to flex on me right here (laughs) using my own equipment that's cool brianna anyway um i had it while we were Talking for you know the past five hours before we started recording, <laughs> I clearly had it wrong because I thought you were, I thought you were from I just anyway I thought you were from Ohio. You are not. You're from I, New York. I'm from. But New tell York. us how a firebrand who, even though it would be really easy for you in terms of future opportunities to like you know, uh, maybe Simone Sanders yourself a little bit like <laughs> yeah, like you could be you could flip and you could have a real easy monetarily anyway uh life like how does how does a brianna uh come to form because because there's i mean we you know people who've been like listening to you and following you for for you know the last couple years you know we get drips and drops of Mm. the story but i i would like the entire thing on the record so talk to me about where you grew up you said new york but what borough Where?
2: So Manhattan, but that was a simplification of my actual trajectory. Tell me um, what you mean by that. We moved to Manhattan when I was 15.
0: Okay. Where were you before where that? I
2: was largely grown up at that point. Uh-huh. Um, we had been living overseas for eight years before that. We were huh. in Kenya for six years and then Saudi Arabia for two years before that. Oh, wow. And before that, we were living in North Carolina um, because my mother was uh, doing a PhD there. And my dad was a research chemist at Roche Biomedical. And Whoa, I was wait. born in D.C., actually. Oh, okay. But we we'll left circle. when I was
0: 2. So you were born in DC while your yes. mother was still in school?
2: No, well she was I guess she was in grad school. Uh-huh. Um she was in I guess a master's program at that stage in her life. Uh-huh. My parents met at Howard ah. and were here post college. Yeah. Um I've been saying I was born at Howard University Hospital, but my mother recently corrected me. I was like, "No, where we weren't." Some other hospital that wasn't Howard University <laughs> Hospital. No. DC General? <laughs> I immediately forgot, okay, but my dad worked it was the story was oh your dad worked in the labs and was able to like run down through the tunnels and come over like while I was in labor and did that huh. but yeah, so we left DC when I was two so I don't no claim waking it. memories it, I mean it says I'm born in DC on my passport yeah. but that's my only relationship to the city really except for living here now
1: mm-hmm.
2: and yeah, we moved overseas because we were living in North Carolina we were going to public schools where my mother felt that we were not being. We were kind of getting on the black track, as it were. We what were, does that mean? My brother, who was reading long before he started, element, uh, you know, kindergarten, was put into, like, a slow readers group because he was uh, black and yeah, quiet yeah, and shy, yeah, yeah. you know. And um, my mother was tired of having to come up to the school yes, and fight and, and scrap ab- for everything yeah, and advocate right. for everything right. and for all our other little black kids that were in our classes together. And mm-hmm. she, you know, we couldn't afford anything else. And so she started, she's was, she was very creative in, mm-hmm. you know. Things outside of the box. And she went to an international school fair mm. in Miami. Mm-hmm and came back deciding that she was going to get into the national teaching circuit. Ah. She had a master's in education already.
0: Was that what she was pursuing her PhD in?
2: No, and she was pursuing it in psychology, ah. but she kind of looked around and was like, my professors don't make any money. Everyone in my department seems miserable. Yeah. What am I doing this for? I can make as much as a teacher
1: mm-hmm.
0: and
2: then my kids could also go to these schools for free. I see. So, she already had a master's. My dad got certified. At first he was just he was teaching gym, but later became a science teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and we moved.
0: To, first to Saudi Arabia. To Saudi Arabia. And we were in
2: Jeddah for two years. Wow. Yeah.
0: Um, How old were you when you were in Jeddah?
2: Third and fourth grade.
0: Okay. What was your... Eight, nine. What do you you remember about the difference between living in Saudi Arabia and North Carolina?
2: There was a lot more freedom in Saudi Arabia, ironically. Say what you mean. In Durham, we weren't allowed to, like, ride beyond the end of the cul-de-sac on Mm -hmm. our bikes. Mm -hmm. You know, we... I couldn't go anywhere. Uh I mean, there were rules. In Saudi Arabia, because there's no crime, uh, Mm. because one, you live on a compound full of expats,
0: and two... That work on the oil fields?
2: Well, So it was Saudi city. So ostensibly, it was a compound for the airline. Uh. But there were, you know, lots of people do lots of different things for the airline. And there was a relationship between the airline and the international school, which Mm. is why we were there.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So some people were mechanics, some people were kind of uh, more office-y Types, you know there was a melange but like (laughs) our our... (laughs) come on melange Ah, that's
0: that crystal glass talking Uh (laughs) (laughs)
2: uh-huh uh but like our like our neighbors i don't know it was in some ways it felt it was very american Hmm. our neighbors were from like new hampshire you know Hmm. um but you were allowed to play i could go it was a huge compound i see It had like dozens of swimming pools and Mm. tennis courts and palm trees and just you could ride as far as the eye could see. Mm. And we were allowed to, to go anywhere and do anything. I see. And rollerblades were big, and me and my neighbor Jennifer <laughs> from New Hampshire we would just skate. Mm-hmm. We would climb trees. Mm. We would like dig mud pits in the back. And we would just wild out kidding. and have this like Harriet Tubman fan. Harriet Tubman is not I the word I was like, I'm like wait
0: say. a minute. Harriet the spy. <laughs> <laughs> you do, I, do not. I did not sign up for Harriet Tubman role playing 100% in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Madam, that's that's not. I'm wow, not equipped. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna have
2: to talk to a therapist about the Freudian synapse and aspire that turned Ooh, Harriet the Spy into Harry. Might have in. to be
0: cut up yet because I don't need that much grief coming on you on Twitter when this episode it's comes fine. out. It's fine. I said worse.
2: <laughs> um, but yeah, this Harriet the Spy fantasy that I had.
0: <laughs> oh fuck! Or being able to,
2: you know, like in the movie, she's like walking down the street and her like little urban environment like talking to the butcher and like writing notes in her little Mm -hmm. black and white journal and you know having her independent relationships as like a 10 year old in the world Um, and Saudi Arabia enabled me to do that and because I was you know pre-pubescent we didn't have to cover or anything like that oh okay My mom did. My mom Mm. couldn't drive and she was not especially fond of Saudi Arabia. Sure, sure.
0: But she did it for her children.
2: Yes, I mean, and they had a two-year contract and she hit the ground and immediately started looking for the next thing.
0: Because it was just like, okay, it's cool, but nah. it was a stepping stone. You have to
2: kind of pay your due. There were more sought after and less sought after positions and you kind of just have to jostle and get what you can get. And if it's the first post, you know, we ended up in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, And then we moved to Kenya and... What part of Kenya? Nairobi, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was lovely.
1: Yeah,
2: um, I spent a lot of formative years there. It's an incredibly beautiful place. Yes. it's high altitude. And yep. have you been? Mm-hmm. Well, then you know. Probably much more recently than
0: I've been. Mm-hmm. Twenty fourteen. Much more
2: recently than I've mm-hmm. I have i have been since we left in two thousand
0: and one. Oh wow. Okay. What was what were the ah what were the biggest differences between um living in in Saudi Arabia on this. Compound American compound in in Nairobi. Like, were you in a were you kind of in an expat neighborhood? Were you all mazungu or what? Oh, look at you. <laughs> okay, that's right. She knows things. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yes, it's such an interesting question because it, I I would not have thought of it as an expat. Na- I mean, everything was an expat neighborhood. There was just obviously there was such income inequality that she yeah, yeah. didn't encounter very many Kenyans. Mm. I mean, there were like. You know some Indian Kenyans at our school. Yep. Um, I th- I recall one Kenyan kid in my class at one point,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Leon, mm-hmm. and he's the only one I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of my good friends was uh, Indian Kenyan.
1: Mm.
2: And, you know, and the, you know there was a you know there's a class dynamic to that. Yeah. You know, and yeah. the, when the co- colonial era ended, yep. like Indians were put in charge, is yep. like this middle ground. And so you know that's the dynamic. So yeah, wherever we lived it was other expats mm-hmm. and it wasn't a compound per se, but the housing was enclosed. Everyone has a gate and a guard. Yep. So high walls, high walls. Mm-hmm. And it feels, I mean, it's both suburban and isolated for that reason. Mm-hmm. You're not living like downtown or anything. Right. And also there's just this, you're even, you're even walled off from your literal neighbor yeah. who was like another teacher at the school. You yeah, know, that's right. You know. But we lived, we lived in this, well, at the time was a very small Little gated community back behind the school, and the international school there was a former coffee farm. Mm-hmm. I'm really trying not to use the word plantation, but uh, coffee I mean, plantation, yeah, but it
0: but <laughs> that's what they are. Yes.
2: Like the art building was the old farmhouse, yeah. and there were coffee fields all around it. Mm-hmm. And The housing development was embedded in the coffee fields, kind of like a mile behind the school. Mm-hmm. And along down a dirt road which up here is paved now but at the time it was a dirt road and we used to ride our bikes on the dirt road to school every day and it was like this little I thought it was very beautiful it was very beautiful and like verdant. I like- yes mm-hmm. just rolling fields of coffee plants that would flower at a certain point mm. in the year everything grows in Kenya because it's wet mm. and crisp it's not hot or Mm-mm. humid ever um, it like rains every morning but then clears up by like 10 30 11 yeah that's right bougainvillea bushes growing on everything terracotta roofs Mm -hmm. uh kind of white plaster walls it was gorgeous i loved it
0: Mm. what what, were you able did you have the same free range in terms of play in kenya as you did in absolutely not Uh
2: so i said we rode our bikes to school every day but we rode our bikes until the one day i was sick i was never i never stayed home from school Mm -hmm. but one day i was sick and that was the day that my brother and dad got bike jacked on the school road it was fortunate that i wasn't there and we weren't allowed to ride our bikes anymore mm. there, i mean there was a lot of crime yeah, yeah yeah. and every time you got in the car there was a little bit of this feeling like of tension mm. before you get to your destination because somebody could your hold you yeah. you're speeding up through intersections so you don't slow down and make yourself vulnerable to uh, carjackings uh. and that
0: kind of thing was common how did you understand that as a child though i thought it was normal I didn't you, really... But I'm saying were you were you in a constant state of tension and and maybe uh nerves or anxiety? A little,
2: or a little, mm-hmm. but I, I thought it was completely normal.
0: What was what were the what were the highest stress activities while you were living in Kenya and what were like the lowest?
2: I mean, it, it just it, it wasn't conscious at the time, right? But I do remember if you were out driving at night,
0: mm-hmm.
2: at the end of the school road, there was like this long road through Coffee fields to get to the mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm and there was an intersection at the end there's no like traffic lights mm-hmm. at one point they put reflectors down the middle of the road mm-hmm. like
0: the little the circle little
2: di- yeah to reflect back your headlights
0: mm-hmm.
2: and they immediately got all pried out and like stolen oh.
1: you
2: know that's what happens when you're in a place with that level of precarity you yep. know so uh it was very dark and there was no one around. It's just coffee fields, coffee fields, coffee fields. And I I remember the anxiety of always speeding up at that intersection in particular because there had been a carjacking on that road and one of the, mm. our teachers had been killed.
0: Aye, aye.
2: Um and that was just
0: But that was a part of That your, was not the only teacher that we
2: lost. Like things happened. Oh
0: wow. Well. Things things Te- happened. Teachers at your school were mm. killed. Okay. Well. There was a
2: a sexual assault of one teacher. I mean the terrible things happened. Sure, sure. And it was just it wasn't. It wasn't that it wasn't. Didn't matter, but it, it felt like a part of life. Like the, I huh. think that sometimes my perspective on American politics is affected by the fact that Americans are so indignant mm-hmm. when bad things happen, mm-hmm. and it's not that they have, don't have every right. I mean, it's a terrible thing. Yeah. Terrible things are happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But every, in other parts of the world, there's a little bit less of the it's, there's sadness. The tragedy is still there. But the indignation, the mm. how could this happen to me,
1: yeah.
2: is muted by the fact uh, that it happens with more frequency. That's right. Right. And you don't walk around in this bubble where you presume you're safe all the time. Mm, mm-hmm. You're
0: constantly by, aware. Yeah,
2: yeah. And we move back to New York. I've said this before. Like 11, uh, six months to the day before 9-11. Ooh. And... You know, my school was down on the East River. I mean, not close, but not far mm-hmm. from the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. And my mom worked for the UN at the time. And oh. they didn't know. all. You know, planes were going on all over the place. No one knew what the next threat was going to be. Yep. It was all very stressful for us. Yes. We were all in kind of high target areas. Yep. We lived in Midtown, like blocks from the mm-hmm. um, Empire State Building. Mm-hmm. And I remember... Our family's kind of feeling about what was going on. It didn't feel as anomalous and like this violation of our understanding of safety the way I think it did for most Americans. Uh, Because
0: you you previously come from a place where like our MC was bombed in '98. Ah. You know,
2: mm -hmm. a a close a a parent of one of the only other Black American families at the school. Mm -hmm. You know, his mom died in in that bombing. Ah. Wow. You know, and so it felt obviously deeply tragic. Mm but just less anomalous. I see. I see. And it was, I, I could feel the difference between my reaction and the reaction of other people around <laughs> me.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I remember feeling kind of weird and a little, you know, almost guilty about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But I it, it think that in retrospect, my international experiences and witnessing a kind of a different level of poverty mm-hmm. affects, I think, my willingness to make a, some kinds of sacrifices because I see there's a, a lot, a long way down. What do you, <laughs> so if I if I make a little bit, if I give up a little bit of something, mm-hmm. it's nothing in the grand scheme of things. What
0: do you mean when you say that?
2: I, I ask a lot of questions on our podcast about, I, I bring these people on. They are gracious enough to come on and talk to me. And they're experts in their field. They're mm-hmm. organizers. They're academics. Mm-hmm. They are politicians. Mm-hmm. They're writers. They're journalists. And I ask them but the basic same question which is like how do we get this better? Yeah. Like what are the obstacles Absolutely. in our way and how do we unpack them? Yeah. And a lot of the folks who are in a leadership position who have organizations that have organized power or are endeavoring to have some kind of organized block that they can weaponize to get stuff mm-hmm. whether by withholding a vote or going on strike or mm-hmm. whatever mm-hmm. it is.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What I sense and this might not be accurate but this is my sense after doing a year of these interviews
1: mm-hmm.
2: is that A lot of these people are unwilling to ask folks that they've organized to make the sacrifice because they themselves are relatively privileged and safe and they feel like it's not on them. It's not appropriate for them to be making asking other people to make a sacrifice. Ah. Um, And because, you know, they're in a they are in a position of relative privilege and people are going to hurt and suffer. And I think that that's I mean, there's something noble. There's something that's very responsible. Yeah. About not wanting to be. Yeah. Trigger happy about telling people to go and like lose their jobs or whatever over a strike where they're not uh, sufficiently supported and they're maybe not going to have a good outcome. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think there's a way in which the potential outcome for all of us Mm -hmm. and the threat that really looms when we're talking about climate catastrophes and what it really means to be without some of the basic social safety net programs that we do without in America Mm -hmm. is a little bit more visceral to me. And how much worse it could even be than this Uh, is a little bit more visceral to uh, me. uh And my own personal willingness to like fall a little bit from my place of privilege Mm -hmm. has to do with me realizing how ultimately I'm safe from some of the worst outcomes. Sure, Even though I am on paper extremely bourgeois. Sure, 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 <laughs> I know, sure. Sure. In, in the grand scheme of things, sure, you know. Sure. I, I constantly ask myself, I don't I don't know why I feel I don't know. I don't I I am always trying to interrogate why it is that I feel a little less risk averse than some mm-hmm. of my peers as we're talking through these issues. Mm-hmm. And it could just be that I am naive and I am open maybe. to that idea. Okay, I'm, sure. And maybe I am irresponsible. Maybe I haven't been in politics long enough. I'm open to all of that. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I I feel like there's a gap between the rhetoric that is used on the Uh, left and hmm. what, how people would behave if they actually believe the rhetoric. Ah. And I think that's where a lot of this disillusionment and the frustration with the end of the Bernie campaign and all of that is coming from.
0: I see. Let's say up to the point in your life from like Saudi Arabia to Kenya, you were uh, maybe in Saudi Arabia. Well... My understanding is that there's not like a, ton, they're not equivalent in terms of like the 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 uh, the level of like poverty that exists. Sure, certainly there's poverty in in Saudi Arabia, but I think sure, that the population there is like the, it's the, hard to
2: see. It's yeah. not like you're people are just you're not strolling the street in the same. There's homeless. right, right, and there's it's like a class. Like no one's accidentally in Saudi Arabia, right? No, you there's Saudis. Are generally very affluent.
0: That's right, and then there are workers. And then there's
2: workers they import in. That's right, and to serve it's invisible them. to. I mean, it yeah. is invisible. Yes,
0: yeah. They're 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 housed. It's like we an can
2: underclass call. that's scurrying around and you know, walled off right. and not and hidden, hidden yeah. from public view and not integrated.
0: Fully. Correct. But did you were you aware of that as a child when you were living there?
2: Yeah, somewhat. Hmm. Um. There was definitely, I remember conversations about discrimination against Filipinos, for instance. Mm. I mean, people had housekeepers. Yep. And I remember there was a conversation about whether we were going to get one mm. and kind of the politics of that. You know, my parents were just like regular, schmegular black people. Right, that's right. Um, and I remember there was, you know, this conversation with this woman who really wanted to live in. Mm-hmm. And my parents were like, that's like a bridge too far. Like, Kenny, do you want to come? And like right, right. Clean, like once a week, yeah, once yeah. a month, you know, that kind of yeah. kind of American I mean, attitude toward yeah. cleaning people. But, you know, she needed a place to live. Uh, mm. And she was like, I will live anywhere, I'll do anything. I will in kind of like understanding that level of desperation. You know, yeah. I'll live, you know, in any any right. corner of can. this house. Yeah, 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 yeah. And kind of witnessing that level of D- desperation. Yeah. Um, at a certain point, I don't know, there was a there was some you know drama where she had, had a romantic relationship with someone mm-hmm. who was a married person, and she was they were threatening to like deport her and like I... the, seeing what the stakes of her life were like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I and, remember witnessing that and like, kind of understanding that that was happening, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and kind of understanding you know levels yeah. of marginalization. I see.
0: Did you? How did you come to understand levels of, in your words, levels of marginalization in Kenya? Is it just because it was so much more visible? It was so obvious. Okay, okay. It was
2: there. You, you know. And as a black person, I think that there was a way that we weren't, that we were conscious of the fact that we were being able to kind of escape some aspects of our own racial and class dynamics in our own country. Yeah. But that's not. It's going to make you not want to ignore yeah. when it's playing out in Somewhere front of you else, in yeah. a different way yeah, yeah, um so yeah you you live in a house that has a guard mm-hmm. for security for security concerns but now you have like this team of people
0: who like works for you yeah that's right
2: there's a guard there's a gardener mm-hmm. there's a housekeeper
0: mm. they can afford know, this as teach as educators
2: everybody every single person and then hmm. the people with young kids had like ayahs like nannies yeah nannies yeah Every single everybody, hmm, okay, and you can say, okay, I'm going to pay my staff twice as much mm-hmm. because I feel guilty and I'm American, and yeah. it's still completely, you know, it's affordable It's nothing because the because the income inequality is that much. Yeah, yeah. And then you're in this game where it's like, I mean, this is the same thing that ends up playing out here in America. Is like private charity and individual charity yeah. the issue, yeah, yeah. or is this this is a systemic issue? And why is it that nobody here can afford to have anything? Right. and All the money is is circulating around in an expat community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the same thing. I mean, it's the same story That's everywhere right. all the time That's right. in all places. It's, That's the, right. it's
0: the story. That's right. Um, how did you understand your families through, through the time you lived in Kenya, Kenya? How did you understand your family's class standing? Or did you, did you just feel like, no, we're kind of, we're regular basically for, for did you feel like for Americans not living in America, we're living pretty regular?
2: I mean, I had no real sense of what Americans were up to. Oh, I mean, I left when I was, in, we were left during the second grade. I'm saying
0: through TV, like in film, you didn't get a, or did you guys visit back to visit like, I mean, relatives? yeah, but, but those are short visits. And I,
2: I wasn't, I didn't, I mean, I knew that one could afford more overseas than you could back home.
0: Okay. You didn't know that.
2: Yeah. Our house was like nicer in Kenya. Or yeah. was the and you had, second a, house, and you
0: had gardeners and into. a security and yeah, but
2: it, yeah. Did, it didn't, it didn't feel luxurious I mean, no, you're no. having rolling power outages, yeah, yeah, yeah. water outages. Yeah. <laughs> like everything's a little bit like covered in this red clay yeah, the and you have old clothes. I didn't I don't think I ever owned a pair of jeans that weren't my brother's and didn't have like a boy crotch bulge <laughs> until 8th <eighth> grade <laughs> mm-hmm. when we did it we like we took a trip to South Africa and I bought like these like tight fitting Israeli jeans and you couldn't tell me anything. <laughs> like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You
2: know, I it, it didn't it felt just you had to have a guard for security reasons. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like you moved into a house, and it, there was a gardener who was already taking care of the property. And it was almost like if you didn't keep the gardener, you were just like
1: being, taking this
2: guy's job away.
1: Yeah, being it almost stingy. like you inher-
2: inherited it when yeah. you moved to a new place. Yeah. Um. And yeah, we I remember it was like almost uncomfortable sometimes with the housekeeper situation because like. You know, we didn't. Our parents didn't let us ask him for anything.
0: Mm-mm. He wasn't our house. Like no, he was
2: no. there to help
0: our parents. Yeah, like yeah. we. He wasn't like I, picking. He wasn't following you with like a napkin. No, so no, that no. Your and we didn't. From snack we, didn't like fall. I truly,
2: it was like I would never have thought to like ask him for. I, we just walked by each other, and you know, it was like, hey, Shadrack, yeah, hey, yeah, Brianna. Like we just moved past each other in the house.
1: Yeah,
2: Yeah. I remember our cousin came to stay with us for a period of time, and there was like a whole kerfuffle because he had been like asking him for like specific oh, breakfast meals I and like see. to do stuff mm-hmm. and my parents were like no 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 that's not the no, dynamic that's
0: not what we do here <laughs> that is not what we do here uh-huh.
2: like he, you know he, this is his job and he has responsibilities right. and like but you aren't his boss no, like, yeah that's you, right it's not you. you you need to go make your bed shut the fuck like, out. right right but it's difficult to enforce like kind of basic like chores and responsibilities mm-hmm. when you are in this cultural environment that has different kinds of expectations sure. and i think that my parents really wrestled with it to mm-hmm. be honest mm-hmm. especially as black americans i think they were rather unsettled by it
0: mm. um, yeah i could see if, we if, didn't have yeah.
2: explicit conversations about it i remember the the little incident with my cousin but
0: mm-hmm. but they tried to they tried to keep you guys as grounded as possible and not and not kind of like warp your view of like uh, i don't know your uh your domestic life i guess
2: Yeah, but also, I just, it's hard to explain how it, how not. How not glamorous it was.
0: No, I understand what you're saying, because it, because it, I think I think when we when you know Americans hear this, the 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 image that is conjured up is like you know someone like at your beck and call. Right. No one's said,
2: walking around on like a tuxedo right, with a silver right, tray. Right, right, right.
0: The gardener comes. He's he's pulling weeds. He's watering, like planting the flowers. You know, minding his business. Security's out front. You know, making it's just, just some
2: twenty something right. hanging out. Hey, Robert. Right. Like, yeah, 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 right, 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 right. You know, he's he's. They're just in case. Yeah,
0: but no one's at your beck and call. Just no. like you know, waiting to patch your eyes dry if you're watching a soap opera and you get <laughs> clint Yeah, I get you.
2: No, mm-hmm.
0: no. Yeah, you're just—they're just working, just doing their job. Yeah, it's part yeah, of an
2: economy that it's like. Yeah, you literally almost inherited it with the house. Yeah, that's
0: right. Well, that happens a lot of different places, like particularly in like the African diaspora. Like if you go to the Caribbean, it's the same thing, and you know, many Caribbean like it's. I, I get it. You. I get what you're saying. Um. How did it feel moving back to America?
2: So after a couple years in Kenya, my mom started – she left – she quit the school and started consulting for the UN. Why? Do you know why? I mean, she never wanted to be, I think, forever a teacher. And Mm -hmm. there were some – you know, there were aspects about working at the school that she found to be restrictive and frustrating. She was Mm -hmm. the school psychologist. Ah. And, you know, you're in these situations where racial politics don't go away just Mm because you're overseas. Mm -hmm. And in some ways become exacerbated because there's a lack of awareness and everyone kind of presumes, you know, sometimes Canadians can be low-key annoying because yeah. um, they're like, <gasps> you don't have racism. And like, mm. that's like, not no, true. you do. You just don't talk about you, yeah, it. That's right. And it's almost more toxic because yeah. there's like a gaslighting. They don't recognize the Correct. issue. That, that's how it can be an in international environment, mm. except it's like a thousand times more diverse than Canada. And <laughs> you have, everybody's from somewhere and they're bringing all their cultural baggage with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as the school psychologist my mother had to do assessments on kids Mm -hmm. and she started to encounter the fact that the school would make allowances for white kids who Uh, didn't necessarily you know who had like developmental needs or something that the school didn't you know couldn't necessarily accommodate but would be like oh this like black or brown Mm -hmm. kid Mm -hmm. can't past muster, we're going to put them down a grade. Same thing, same bullshit. Yeah, she saw it playing out, you know, and she was the only one who had the kind of like cultural awareness of a black American who went to Howard and grew up in Cleveland in the 1960s, you know, to understand what was going on. And I think that in a lot of, I mean, a lot of people in their work environment experience, especially when you work in an environment where you're supposed to be so progressive Mm -hmm. and be a change agent, Mm -hmm. when you're in those environments and you're seeing regressive patterns play mm, out. Mm-hmm. It can be ex- especially dissonant. Yeah. And she felt, you know, you start to feel like there's only so much I can do mm. and
0: and there's only so much I can take. Yeah.
2: And you end up being a witness to yeah. just um yep. a lot of unfairness. That's right. So, also it wasn't her like ambition necessarily to be working in a school environment.
0: Or not an educator, but in the school environment, right? Yes, 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 yes. Uh-huh. Um,
2: so she was able to start consulting for the UN, um, offering psychosocial support to UN staff members mm. in these traumatic situations, and mm. they ended up giving her a full time position in New York. Oh, right on! And so we were scheduled to move back to New York um, once my brother finished his senior year, which would have been you know spring of two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and she had moved back to New York already mm-hmm. uh, and, like, visited us because our region was East Africa, but mm-hmm. they needed her back. And it was just us and our dad. But uh, unfortunately, my dad was in a car accident with my brother in Ooh. February of 2001 Ooh. and passed away. Oh. And so we had to move back prematurely uh. um, March 11th, six months to the day before wow. 9-11. Mm. So the move back was, you know – not on schedule and obviously and was tra- traumatic, traumatic yeah. and not great. And honestly, a little bit of a blur at really? uh, the end of 10th grade. And those last few weeks of the school year, I came back and they put me in the international school in New York, which
1: uh-huh.
2: is a crazy culture shock. Cause these kids were American AF. Uh-huh, and I, uh-huh. They were big and they had beards and I didn't understand.
0: <laughs> who, who was big and had beards?
2: American kids are big. Even this is an international school. They were international, but it's something in the water with the milk or the chicken. <laughs> These kids were enormous to me. <laughs> like. And they had so much facial hair. Like I my kids, my friends were these like, you know, little skinny boys from like, you know, Bhutan and Colombia. we all looked like we were 12 years old. You know, hey, you and, and these you came back and you in class
0: with grown men. I think
2: mean, they also had kids from Bhutan and Columbia, but they were big. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they had facial hair. <laughs> and they were like six, two. <laughs> I went to high school with um, Yannick Noah, who plays for the Bulls. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Joachim Noah. His his dad's name is Yannick Noah, the tennis mm-hmm. player. Joachim Noah, like he's he was like literally six <laughs> five. Mm,
0: wow. <laughs> like, yeah, big guy, big kid.
2: Like to me, and they were so rude. Like there was none. There was none of the like
0: the politeness, respect yes. for
2: el- Like they would badmouth the teachers. They were cursing. They were mm. like throwing paper balls. It was like an American TV show. There were lockers. <laughs> it was just a lot.
0: <laughs> right. It was a lot uh, but the and then i mean i presume that having to deal with these big ass damn high schoolers <laughs> and then like still mourning the death of your father like did you that summer were you just were you just like down for the count just like
2: yeah my mother sent um well she had to travel mm. to afghanistan actually Aye. lol that summer uh-huh wow um and so we went she put I think my brother. I mean, my brother was in the hospital for a while. Because mm. um, he made it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, okay. but he had some pretty serious injuries to his hip and sure. was in traction for a period of time.
0: Ay, 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 ay.
2: Um, that's why we didn't come home immediately. We had to spend a month in the hospital with him in Kenya before wow. he was able to travel. Wow, I do not know that. Mm. But, you know, my, I went to summer camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's I think she like she was going to be gone most of the summer anyway, sure, sure, sure. so she sent us to summer camp. I went to Skidmore. I'm not sure where my brother was. I think he was taking some college classes or something trying to finish up because he, he wasn't able to graduate with his class because mm-hmm. of the accident. Yeah. So I think he was doing classes at like some New York, Marymount or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, it was nice because mm-hmm. I got to kind of selectively choose when I acknowledged that this had happened. Huh. You know, you're kind of living, everybody's just sad and we're all sad together yeah. and none of us can pretend not to be sad sure. because it feels disrespectful. and. Being away, I was doing like a photography class and a drawing class at Skidmore. I you know, I thought I wanted to be an artist. Mm-hmm. And it was lovely. And it was a good way for me to Acclimate to being an American mm. in a way that was a little less intense than being sure. in my Manhattan
0: high Ease school. Ease you into it a little bit more. Okay, yeah, it was you know
2: more rural, not rural, but you're in upstate New York yeah. and
0: slower pace a little bit, grassy more space. Yeah,
2: people were making each other mix CDs, and I was <laughs> learning about Radiohead, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. I, I remember that summer very fondly. Mm. It was it was I think a good little
0: escape. Did it help for all you? Did it help you process and move through the grief?
2: I mean, I don't know that anything really. Does I don't even really know what that means. I see. Okay. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just it's a reality of a thing that happens. that's terrible. Yeah. It isn't stopping terrible. Mm. There's just more time. Ah. Time passes and you have memories mm-hmm. that aren't during a terrible time. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm, yeah. At first all your memories are the before times yes. when everything was great yes. and to think about them makes you sad. Yeah, And then all your more recent memories are of the immediate after times, which are terrible. Mm. And then what happens with time is that you have these intermediate memories where you're not in the throes of grief, mm-hmm. but also aren't like focused on a person whose absence you still feel. Ah. And that to me, that's what getting past grief is. is just having things for your brain to land on ah. that aren't, Sad because you're thinking about the person that you miss, Mm -hmm. or sad because you're still in the throes of the tragedy. Ah, and it's just time. You just have to give time.
0: Huh. Hi. That's all. But that's all. I mean, yes. I mean, and you have a language for it now as an adult. But I don't. I can't. I. I, I've not had. Certainly not as a young person. I didn't have to. You know, uh, be confronted with that. Um. And I. and, And did it feel? So I'm wondering if at the time it felt like, just like. It it will be okay with time. Like was that a thought or it, but you or you no, were just you, moving through it.
2: You don't know that it's going to be okay with time. It feels terrible. Yeah, I see.
0: Until it, it feels terrible until it feels less terrible.
2: At you know at first it's just you want to go back into time so badly. Mm-hmm. It's like how could it be that yesterday it was okay and today it's not. I
0: see. Mm-hmm.
2: How could it be that t- last week we were doing this and today we can't. uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. And it's forever we can't. Uh huh, uh huh, uh huh. And we were a very close family. My dad, you know, we all my parents had at the school. We all. Got up and went to school together,
0: yeah, came home together with my Dubai, dad. the bike through the coffee fields. Rode the bike
2: through the coffee fields. He taught my basketball team. And, yeah. you know, he was a very involved parent. Yeah. And, you know, it was just us three at the end. Like, mm-hmm. my mom was traveling. She wasn't in the country when the accident happened. Uh, so uh, uh. it was just me at home.
0: Oh, wow, wow, wow.
2: Uh, so, you know, yeah. things changed a lot and very fast. sure. And I think there's some aspect of actually leaving the country and having the environmental shift that makes it easier, because hmm. it's it's You're not, not feeling the same, the same space in the absence. Yeah. Yeah. It's completely new. I see. And perhaps I should probably talk to a therapist about this someday. But <laughs> I think there's perhaps an extent to which I skipped over some stages I should have dealt with because I could. I was in a new school. People didn't know us. At the old school mm-hmm. that last month, it was everybody knew my dad. Everybody he yeah. was a beloved teacher. Yeah, he taught all the sports teams. He led all the trips out of Mount Kenya. He was young and handsome yeah. and athletic yeah. and fun mm-hmm. um and silly and you know so it was hard cuz we were all grieving as a community
0: ah mm-hmm. and
2: you know there's, there was a certain degree of escapism that yeah. coming back to America and then going to Skidmore and then having this new school, mm-hmm. you know, my dad was supposed to be a teacher at my new school, but like, uh, nobody actually knew that. I nobody see, knew I see. him.
0: So you didn't have to really deal with it. Right. And then I was off to way. college, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know,
2: two years later. Sure. And that's a whole, I, re- I reflect now on my freshman year of college and how close it was to the tragedy and how I was like, very much like, oh, that was something that happened a while ago. Whoa. And I, didn't, I never brought it up. I never talked to any of my friends about it. it
0: at, at first in college?
2: Really? Never. I never came up. I never. And in and in retrospect, I mean, I'm still friends with these people, and I sometimes wonder what they think
0: uh-huh.
2: as I now, as an older person, bring it up more.
0: Uh-huh. Wait, 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 wait. But how did that Didn't nobody ask about your damn parents
2: in college? People assume that if you talk about your only one parent. That your parents are divorced, or you're a single parent. There was a single home. parent, and sometimes people don't want to pry because that seems disrespectful. We could. I would have
0: just so you know. Had we known each other in college, I would have known because I mean, as you know, because I've been prying in your life for the last five fucking hours. I would, have, I, would have, I would have. I would have. I would have. I would have at some point asked for like a thumbprint from your mother and your father and to understand their favorite foods and you know, la So I would have known you had uninquiring I mean, ass I mean, they,
2: they knew, and there was a there was a little bit of a media event um because so my mom at one point when i was a freshman and i'm sorry mom if i'm mess- messing up the timeline but she quit the u.n because the u.n wouldn't let her do any press about the accident why there were some aspects of the accident oh, that mm-hmm. were involved litigation and sure, sure, sure. the driver of the other car worked for the american embassy Ooh. and was basically protected by the embassy and never faced any consequences wow at all. wow And there was some evidence that he was impaired Mm -hmm. and there was some efforts to not let that come out. And there was a whole thing. Wow. And so at one point we did a Diane Sawyer interview when I was, I think, about to go to college. I think that summer. Mm -hmm. And there was a big write-up that came out by Will Haygood, the guy who wrote the article that led to the Help
0: movie. Yes, yes, yes.
2: Um, Will Haygood wrote an article in the Washington Post about my father's accident. Mm -hmm. And so there was like a there was like a media trail of some sort. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was early days of Internet. you could still Google. (laughs) You could give a Google in 2003. And that kind of stuff would come up. And some people figured it out. Mm -hmm. I remember my my college boyfriend figured it out without me having to say anything. I remember being very appreciative that he had put in that
0: work. I got you. What was the rest of high school like for you? In New York, with, with all these. Uh, I giants. loved high school in Kenya.
2: I was finally getting a little bit out of nerd zone. I was <laughs> on the varsity basketball ah. team as a sophomore. Uh-huh. We won the I see C- I International School of Southeast Africa I I see I- a championships. Mm-hmm. However, you spell that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we were like killing the game. Sure. I got the lead in the school play.
0: Nice. Like you're starting to blossom.
2: I was starting to blossom. Like By socially, the way, uh-huh. it was a five person play. The woman who played my, like, I don't want to say sidekick, but she, I was, like, the main antagonist, mm-hmm. and she was, like, my backup buddy, mm-hmm. Mean Girl style. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is now a professional actress. Really? <laughs> Who's been in a Marvel movie and is now in, like, oh, what is this show on, like, Netflix? She's great. She's a lovely woman. Mamea Boafo, like, shout out to her. Oh, nice. But I think that's hilarious because... <laughs>
0: right i was there I yeah that's right no, I I mean, I she's very talented that I could be. Be. <laughs> <laughs> she's talented so, so and beautiful
2: it. and great um but yeah i i really loved it and there were it had its problems but it was a real community of expats and and it was a community you kind of were like i don't know you were you were living in a world inside a world mm-hmm. for better or for worse and you were all kind of tethered together and in new york there were things about New York that I really liked, more freedom. I had my Metro card mm-hmm. and could walk up and down the street. And it was, again, in Kenya, it was not safe. You weren't ever yeah. outside. You were driven from point A to point B. Some people had drivers and yeah. you know, all that stuff. In New York, can like go anywhere and do anything.
0: What were you, hold on. What was I doing? No, Nothing. No, no. Walking
2: to the McDonald's down the street, <laughs> hanging out across from school, like <laughs> and then, up and down you like, lose the, your the East River. Bit. No, we didn't do anything i was such we were such nerds uh, we didn't do you. a goddamn thing really hell no and our, and our parents I think was a lot of the kids like their parents are european or whatever and mm-hmm. we were allowed to drink mm-hmm. but it was never like wild we, and my mom knew everybody knew Yeah, yeah we never got drunk we mm-hmm. would have like a glass of wine With at nora's house sure and then go
0: home mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> no ragers it
2: wasn't deep like mm-hmm. nobody Treated alcohol that way. In New I mean, York. I'm sure some, maybe some other kids did, but not my nerd ass friends.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. um So, so were you still, but were you still, did you go back to being a nerd after you started to blossom in Kenya? Did you go back to being a nerd? I'm
2: stopping. The thing is, I wasn't, I wasn't that kind of nerd that was like socially inept, you know, or I, I wasn't ever that kind of nerd. I was a nerd because I didn't do cool girl shit.
0: Why why you give me all that sister girl name to say <laughs> cool girl shit?
2: You know, like cool I I didn't I was not popular with boys. Okay. Um, in New In
0: New York or in Kenya. Anywhere okay. ever. Okay.
2: <laughs> You're so ridiculous. And
0: nowhere nowhere <laughs> on on
2: uh God's green earth. <laughs> um and I didn't do you know, I I didn't do drugs. No one really ever even offered. And really? I. D- mm mm. I, I don't I don't I don't think I was ever even the first time I bl- remember ever even being in a room where someone did drugs. I was a freshman. I had come home for some holiday and I was at Columbia visiting a friend of mine from the UN school in New York mm-hmm. and another friend of mine from Kenya also was at Columbia mm-hmm. and I met with both of them. They ended up dating lol for a mm-hmm. while <laughs> uh, and the girl's roommate was smoking pot Threw a rolled-up Howard Dean poster out the window, and that, Ooh. ladies and gentlemen, is how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> I can't.
0: From zero to eighteen, like, how would your family, your various communities, like, how would they describe you, other than a nerd? Like, how would they, how would they describe you? Like, were you hell on wheels? Were you like quiet as no, a mouse? I was
2: pretty. I was quiet in social situations oh, okay like shy stuff thought i was quiet and shy yeah. okay 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 which my you know family always thought was hilarious yeah because you cause I, you tasmanian devil mouth. at home
0: yeah that's right <laughs> that's right
2: but i i my quietness socially you know sometimes people thought that then they could try me
0: mm. but i wasn't
2: that kind of nerd i wasn't actually insecure mm-hmm, i wasn't actually I, was quiet. I liked myself i wasn't socially mal- maladaptive that wasn't the kind of nerd i was mm-hmm. i didn't look weird i didn't like right I wouldn't have glasses. Like there was nothing stereotypically yeah. nerdy about me, except for that I didn't do cool
0: girl stuff. I see,
2: and I and I liked school. Yeah,
0: I see. And, you know, I
2: had good relationships with my teachers and
0: stuff. Mm-hmm. Teacher's pet, probably. Ah, tell the truth.
2: Not. I mean, not necessarily. In, in fact, I didn't even manifest true smartness. No one like thought of me as smart or particularly academic. Really? Why do you say
0: that? Why do you say that?
2: I was never considered that until my fifth grade teacher took a special interest in me. Mm-hmm but we didn't really have grades in that way so i never thought of myself as like a star student or anything Mm -hmm. and then ninth grade happened and i remember accidentally getting a's and everything but french Mm. and it just occurred to me Mm -hmm. that i could stick this landing and keep doing it and at that point i guess i became like a smart kid when
0: you know so you didn't you didn't consider yourself smart until ninth grade
2: not in an academic way
0: because say
2: it again no, I never been really labeled as such. So
0: you didn't feel that way because you weren't labeled that way. Oh, I,
2: I didn't feel stupid. I felt like able and capable. I knew I was always a very good reader and yeah. um, had good general knowledge and didn't struggle in school in uh-huh. any way. Uh-huh. But I never was like, mm, "She's the smart girl. She's raising her hand. Really? She knows the answers." That 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 was never in my life. And this and also there was never any thought of me like, "Oh, you got to go to this certain kind of school," or there was never any pressure in my family or life to. Huh. It was truly just a surprise. When I I remember applying to college mm-hmm. and being like, "Oh, I hope I get into
0: college," because you didn't you thought it would be a stretch. You know, the narrative on TV is it?
2: like everyone's just like, "I gotta get into college." It wasn't like I don't need to get into this school.
0: Mm-hmm. It was like any school, any
2: school. I remember the first application I got back, um, admittance letter I got back was from BU. Mm-hmm. I was thrilled to get in, mm-hmm. and I celebrated
0: big because mm. I could go to college. Wow.
2: I, I just, it was never like my, my there was never any pressure. Even both of your parents
0: were college educated, like you didn't, yeah, I mean, there I, wasn't a given for you.
2: I mean, I, I thought I was going to get in somewhere, but yeah. I, I didn't really have any sense of how, I'm telling you, I was not part of this world. I You know, there's this whole SAT score, da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a part of that until just at the end when I came back to the States. I see. Okay. And I didn't really have a sense of how outlier my SAT scores, is especially for black kids
0: because they were so high?
2: Yeah, I, oh, okay. I didn't have a I didn't have a sense of it.
0: Uh-huh.
2: I I took the test. Yeah. I did the little practice, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know.
0: But when you got but your I, score back, you weren't like, "Oh damn, like this is this is definitely well, yeah, going to be my Yeah, When I got my, my score back.
2: But I remember I remember taking like, the PSATs and having kind of an average score. Mhm. Um and not really thinking about it one way or the other. Mhm. And I rem- I did like some SAT tutoring. Yeah. My oof, this math score it was all about the math I mean <laughs> right. the verbals were copacetic yeah that's right mama can't add <laughs> and <laughs> um, and then I remember it, you know it worked that's mm-hmm. also what's so effed up about the whole thing it's yeah. like if you can afford a little it be, bit of tutoring that's it,
0: right that's what makes the difference it makes all the difference yeah, and it right. has
2: nothing to do with your actual ability None. it's like Zero. It, you could train a fucking monkey to do these sorry excuse me excuse my
0: French
1: no. you,
2: you, can, you can train curse, a monkey please? to like jump,
0: jump jump through these hoops yeah
2: um hmm. and yeah, well then it became apparent, like, you know, you then you take your Princeton Review out and you look at the stats of the schools, you're like, Oh, I qualify for these schools, okay. cool. Right. Like okay. But I, I applied to a lot of schools at the time. I applied to thirteen schools, which was considered to be a lot at, at the, the time. time yeah. mm-hmm. Nowadays kids are applying like twenty seven schools. So That's back then thirteen ridiculous. was a lot because I applied to so many competitive schools.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you and get I in I everywhere? I assumed
2: I wasn't gonna get in. Like you huh. have to just shoot your shot. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I got in.
0: To everywhere? No.
2: I got rejected from Columbia. Okay. I think it's because I spelled Columbia the wrong way the whole time.
0: Dog, what?
2: Yeah. It was one of the only online applications, all online. I remember having a big fight with my mom that day, and she was like, finish your Columbia application. I was like, fine. And just like doing it like clitter clatter, clitter clatter. Um, And I remember having the thought, oh, which Columbia is it? Screw it. I don't care. And just like filling it out. I'm not, I don't know that that's the reason why, but I remember paying less attention to that application than others. Mm. Not that that's an excuse. Maybe I just wasn't good enough. Um, <laughs> and then the other one was I got uh, I got waitlisted at Brown, which was a shame because I really wanted to go to Brown. Mm-hmm-hmm. And I wanted to take classes at RISD and I wanted to be an artist and I was obsessed with Brown. Oh, wow. But they did, were not obsessed with me. You,
0: where'd you end up going? I went to Harvard. Oh, okay. undergrad. Mm-hmm. So you went from you went from just, I hope somewhere lets me into getting into the most competitive undergrad in the country.
2: My mom, she did um admissions at, in Kenya, which yeah, is yeah. at the school, you know, uh-huh. you know, that was part of her job. Mm-hmm. And she says that I was insane. Like she knew, she knew that I could get into these schools. But
0: then why didn't she say anything to you? You sitting around walking around I the just house looking really simple. didn't talk
2: about it. Like how did you not talk about it? You know, I did my application. She really shepherded through my application process because there was a whole there was a whole thing at my school. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Uh, where my guidance counselor at school told me to apply only to Brown as my reach school, as the only Ivy League I should apply to, mm. and that I wasn't, I shouldn't apply to others. Really? And when I came home and told my mom that, she was like, "We're taking your application process out of the school, and I'm going to do
0: it." Oh wow! Okay, okay.
2: And I think there was some. I'm not saying necessarily.
0: Say it. Just say it. Mean,
2: it. There may or may not have been racial implications. It was. What do London's you mean? May or
0: may not have been. You were in New York, of course. There I mean, was. You know, I
2: mean. I, but I think another part of it is that the guidance counselor has students in mind for different schools. They yeah. have people that they, and I was new to the school and other people sure. weren't. And I think that I was perceived as taking somebody's spot. You know, these schools, they have these relationships with these co- colleges where they get one or two spots.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: And I think I took one of the spots. Mm-hmm. A lot of people felt entitled to that spot because oh, I was wow. new yeah, too, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you compared had a, to all of them. I had right. only been there a couple of years. That's right.
0: You, 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 jumped to the front of the line in the farm system <laughs> of, oh elite private but this schools. weird
2: this is also stupid i know a lot of people are going to be like cringe and this is stupid and harvard should be abolished and that's correct 100 yeah. percent and they should also abolish my student debt while they're doing it Ooh, also, <laughs> also. i'm i'm with you mm-hmm. they shouldn't have these hierarchies it's ridiculous that people have to fight and scrap so much to get into these schools because it does in fact make a difference in your life outcomes yeah. and that's a crappy world we live in your whole life shouldn't be directed right. as to like how studious you were, what opportunities you had to take prep courses when you were 17 yeah, years old. That's right. I'm hundred percent with you. Yeah. And I, you know, and
0: I'm the same it's side. true. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. And I
2: hope if I ever have kids by the time they get to that point, mm-hmm. you will have been able to tear down that system. So
0: I never have to go through this process again. That's right. Because I'm not doing what my mama did. I, I, ain't, I ain't got it it's, in me. <laughs> it's,
2: it's it's corrupting. It changes who you are. It yep. changes your incentives and your priorities. That's right. You buy into a value system no matter how hard you try not to. That's right. Because um, there's so much. That's the water you swim in. Esteem to be earned. Mm-hmm. And it's very difficult to let go in a world that sometimes doesn't esteem you for the right reasons.
0: Ah. Uh, mm. Well. Wow. When you, when you decided to, ah, uh, I don't wanna ask that question. Did you have an idea, do you, did you have an understanding of your parents' politic or ideology growing up?
2: Yeah, so less so my dad who was kind of, you know, just re- more regular and earthy. And and also, I don't know if I would've understood his politics more if I had known him as an older sure, person. sure um, But he was from Virginia, um, you know, Tidewater area. Mm. He was the youngest of seven. Mm. Big, kind of normal religious, you know.
0: Black Southern family.
2: Respectable Southern family. You know, working class. My grandfather worked in the shipyards. Mm. My grandmother, she died before I was born. My dad was 15 Mm -hmm. um, or a little bit younger. Uh, Was a homemaker. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, raised Christian but didn't practice. Mm -hmm. I never, I don't remember really him saying I don't remember talking to him about politics. You or, don't have
0: any particularly political memories mm-mm. of or, or memories of discussions or, you None. know, him sitting down at dinner table like we None. really I'm, need to Nope. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's
2: an interesting conversation. That's an interesting question for me to ask my mom actually. Hmm. I remember more about my mother's politics in part because it came so much from her parents' politics and Boyle Bore where my grandma, my grandparents are to rip. <laughs> what do you mean? Um, my grandfather so my grandparents are very young. Mm. Uh, they had my aunt when my grandmother was 16 and my mom when she was, my grandmother was 17. Wow. You know, they were, my grandmother was always kind of like a free spirit, hippie type. Mm. So this is like 1960. just yeah. had my mom. She's 17 years old.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: She's into transcendental meditation. Really? find herself as a Buddhist for my childhood. Now she, you know, everyone becomes Christian when they get older yeah. and more conservative. You know, sick and things happen. But, sure. um, you know, my mom, you know, she was and my dad. My grandfather was um Nation of Islam. Huh. Very radical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, made the kids listen and just got hair in when they got home from school. My mom says she had read all of the radical yep. books By the before time she, she, got she got went to Howard. To Howard. She yep. was like, am I supposed to be learning something new here? Because I already read this when I was <laughs> uh, you know? 13. Right. Um my mom tells the story of like coming home from school one day and they had painted the walls black and gotten white shag carpeting and there were you know, macrame plants hanging everywhere and they always had a big fish tank. And I think it was just like this kind of trippy, groovy.
0: House. groovy.
2: They were dancing and there was music playing and mm. her parents were young and mm-hmm. hip and cool. And mm-hmm. my grandmother is like this tiny chocolate woman with a big, big fluffy hair and mm. huge eyes. And mm. people used to say she looked like Diana Ross. Mm. And, you know, like, you know, and people didn't, you know, black that wasn't necessarily a compliment in the black community. She was considered to be too skinny and yeah, bony, yeah, 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 and da, da, da. Yeah. But, you know, beautiful and effervescent. And, yeah. you know, I think my mom learned to question authority mm. and to be open to more radical ideas. Ah. Although my grandfather was so radical, I think that she interpersonally mm-hmm. has a much, she's a very like, approachable, mm-hmm. sweet, you know, professional presenting person. But she still has those radical politics. Sure.
0: Um, you don't gr- you don't grow up listening to Gil Scott Heron every correct. day and not th- adopt some <laughs> radical politics. That's right.
2: Correct. Mm.
0: You know,
2: white man has a god complex. I mean that that <laughs> like, that is that is what my mother was listening uh-huh. to, and I, I you know I didn't I remember like you know we were abroad yeah. for the whole Clinton years,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: so it was like things would drip and drive. I remember Monica Lew- Lewinsky mm-hmm. being a thing. Mm. I remember. My mother having some takes that I felt I remembered at the time were out of step with what we were supposed to think. Like, I mean, I, I, remember, I remember thinking that there were conversations about like, oh, the, you know, what are what else is on the agenda that we should be thinking about that's getting brushed under the rug because this scandal is being a is a mm, priority. Mm, like mm, from mm. Sus, substantive concerns. I see, I see, I see. You know, the you know, two thirds of the CBC supports the crime bill. What about the other one third? Mm-hmm. You know, when we were back in the states. I remember 9-11 happened yeah. almost immediately, and. There was this all of this Islamophobia, yep. and all of the American flags went up, yep. and it was kind of toxic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was it was it felt very um, what do you call it with the red outfits and little hats, Handmaid's tail. Oh, it was, was like, like, like this kind of like weird yeah. handmade I mean, it's it's difficult. It's weird to say because ostensibly. I mean, it wasn't targeted at us. Right, right, right. But I remember we, we came home from school. My mom picked us up from school we came to the rec room. Mm-hmm. We had She picked up some of her colleagues' kids and we were all like huddled around the TV. Yeah, that had to be terrifying. And this conversation about like, hope oh, the pilots weren't black. Yeah. Like, you know, like, because it, it, you you were going to have a certain degree of solidarity with, you know, your Muslim fellow New Yorkers or anybody who people perceive to be Muslim. Cause right. remember, so many Sikhs got it. like beat up in the streets That's and right. stuff. Um, Because... You know there but for the grace of god go why yeah. was the feeling
0: yeah that's right
2: um and i remember her like doing a little donation or whatever to get your name on the there was like a people took a new york times ad out about like civil liberties there was like an aclu yeah, yeah, page yeah. and her participating in that sort of thing and i remember around that time finding out more about her political identity and the fact that she um had never voted for a democrat huh until barack obama she voted uh-huh. third party, green. Oh, party. like
0: green. Okay, okay. Mom, so you, so so you weren't aware at the time growing up, but your I was your mom about was. A of elections.
2: I was a, both a little you're kid a and kid. also abroad. It just wasn't part of.
0: Sure, it didn't I seem have no extremely recollection relevant. I of
2: or we left. I remember in ninety two. I remember doing some like fake ballot box stuff mm. right before we left mm. in like school,
1: mm-hmm.
2: like modeling what voting is like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I have no recollection. I mm-hmm. of of bill's second term i have no recollection of i have the vaguest recollection
0: of bush getting elected ah for the first time sure the vaguest yeah yeah because you were still abroad you were still in kenya yeah i remember
2: being in a hospital for something like visiting a friend or something Mm -hmm. and there being a tv on Mm -hmm. talking about the election
0: Uh, i see huh
2: okay but that's literally my
0: only memory Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm
2: of that entire election
0: got you so it wasn't in, it wasn't until post 9 11 when your mother was your mother was um uh she was signing onto this petition for was it was it anti-islamophobia or yeah, anti-interventionism it was like
2: free, you know free speech it was it was all of the you
0: know all the things that were under push attack back
2: against militarism imperialism all of the rush to judgment all yeah. of the silencing mm-hmm. all of the like media silence about you know all of, i don't remember it specifically but mm-hmm. it was some aclu page gotcha and i remember finding out at some point around then that she had you know she was too young to vote for carter like by like because she has a late birthday mm-hmm. you know she, it was like she was tw- 22 before she could vote for the first time almost mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm, um in a presidential in a presidential election, election. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. and she was like we had crap choices a whole time mm-hmm. like through the 80s she was in her 20s through the 80s yeah
0: and she certainly wasn't voting for reagan coming and out of this groovy not. home yeah so she was, she was a green up until Obama, oh, that's interesting, so you but you didn't really understand until the post nine eleven era That's no interesting.
2: and i and I didn't really think that much of that either.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: except that I guess maybe on some level it made me open to. Bernie. it made me open to kind of Mm. political alternative alternatives because once they came along
0: i got you because you because you were not brought up in a house with like like smotheringly mainstream like scolding kind of like
2: there was none of that
0: i got you most certainly
2: not there was and there wasn't like weird hagiography of bill clinton there was never any he was like i guess fine
0: he was like all right i
2: don't remember (laughs) one thing being said about him one way or the other
0: Mm -hmm -hmm. i see so you didn't so you didn't have this like you did you didn't grow you didn't have to take that journey of like a lot of like leftists Uh our age of like you know like just just blind fealty to either party because of you know your parents uh association to then like kind of be disillusioned and like kind of make sense of that and then move into uh i see nope interesting that's interesting okay that uh, that probably made it easier for you to come to the bernie
2: yeah, no, I've said this yeah. before on lots of other podcasts, mm-hmm. but my mom hit me to Burmy.
0: Ah,
2: right on. I wasn't paying, you know, it was early, you know, it was like 2015. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you know, focused yet. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was at work mm-hmm. working on a weekend and my mom faces time facetimes me and she's downtown somewhere in some march some rally with my brother who she's dragged down there <laughs> with one arm flung around my brother and some one flung around some stranger this is this white lady that she's never seen before <laughs> never seen since and the three of them were chanting gleefully together uh-huh. like, together tonight, tonight we will not be defeated or whatever uh-huh. with bernie's i was like what are you doing right. where are you what's happening that's right as i, I like, hear this corporate law firm <laughs> And she's like, we're here for Bernie. <laughs> I'm like, what? Right. And then I started paying attention. Sure. You know, I'm watching the debates. And I'm like, oh, well, obviously this guy. Right. Obviously this right. guy. My
0: mama right. Yeah, she, she got correct, it. Correct. Absolutely. That's right. That's hilarious. Um. Okay. When you looked out on your life when you started college, did you did you want to be an artist professionally or what? What did you think? Like oh, when I don't people would ask you that? I that hard. I mean, I enjoyed doing art. No, I'm saying, but when people ask you that annoying fucking question that you should never ask, like, 17-year-old, like, what do you want to do? For, what no, do I, I never for? saw
2: myself as doing art professionally because I was always very, like, pragmatic.
0: hmm <laughs> And, and I didn't
2: want to be, up. I mean, LOL, ah. I'm a professional podcaster. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, But I, you know, I always thought, like, no, I need to be able to earn a salary. Sure. I was always very concerned about not having a net mm-hmm. or I I don't know. I was always in the state of panic. Oh, I'm not going to get into college. Oh, I'm not going to get a job. Like I always just felt like panicked Why? for whatever reason. No, I don't but know. what do you think that reason was? I don't know. My father was pretty
0: tightwad. Like, um, <laughs> like
2: maybe <he laughs> talked about like never having enough money too much, and mm, maybe I don't know made
0: you anxious about money. Maybe
2: I don't know. Like the only real uh, most of the arguments I remember in the household were just like money related arguments. Uh, uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. You, you know? Yeah, I what
2: He was a Taurus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So, I don't, I don't know. But, you know, I liked art, but I very quickly was like, I'm not going to be a yes v- a, a visual environmental studies major. I'm mm-hmm. going to do art history because that at least is like a real thing. Mm-hmm. It's like scholarship and not just painting. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm making like ear quotes and stuff as I say that. Obviously, mm-hmm. I value it as a course of study. Mm-hmm. And history of science. I started out thinking I was gonna be pre med. Hmm. And a lot of pre med people do HIST Sci, So it was mm-hmm. recommended to me for that reason. Mm-hmm. And then I very quickly realized I wasn't doing pre med. Mm-hmm. But HIST Sci is so interesting. Oh, interesting. I okay. think it's just the most interesting major. And I think it's become more popular over the years. But back then there were only 35 of us in the concentration.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And Harvard is one of the schools where HIST Sci really started. Stephen Jay Gould was at Harvard. And my mom, in her psychology studies, just had so much admiration for Stephen Jay Gould mm-hmm. and many aspects of the discipline and the people that we were work, uh, reading. Mm-hmm. And she was so pleased mm-hmm. um, that we had this, you know, thing to talk about that we had in common. Mm. Um, and it just was a very natural fit. It's mm. got this sociological aspect, mm-hmm. you know, what, how, how are people th- and communities mm-hmm. and technology all intersect with I each see. other mm-hmm. and things that we consider to just be happenstance or the way the world is Really being motivated by very specific contexts and kind of understanding how to predict, anticipate, and change the course of events mm-hmm. because we understand history better um it's a great way to just learn about history i find history to be boring which is ironically ironic because i'm a history of science history of art Mm -hmm. but i find looking at history i think straight history is often just the
0: history of wars sure which conquest yeah okay
2: whatever (laughs) oh look we're gonna do world war ii like for the fifth time Mm -hmm. like this is all you learn in high school sure i get it archduke ferdinand like Mm -hmm. i get it like i get it he was an entire yeah. ass world. I can't tell you one thing about like Colombia, yeah, but sure. I can tell you a zillion things about, you know, you know, Austria. Like, yeah, that's can right. we not? Austria,
0: Germany, France. <laughs> you know, right. so. Run it down. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I I really liked being able to learn these other, like access history and things that happen mm-hmm. through other lenses. Looking at, I learned so much mm-hmm. by memorizing art pieces when they were painted with the content of them. I learned so much about religion through art history because ah. so so much of art was about these religious scenes. Yeah, and yeah. I would never have known about the I don't know. What do you call it? Ascension? Ascension? Uh, no, I'm going to screw it up. John. But like there were all of these like stories from the Bible that frankly I didn't really access until sure. I started learning art history. Mm. Um, And the same with you know, the history of science, the history of technology, mm-hmm. the history of disease, is the history hmm. of of it's cultural history yeah. and political history mm-hmm. and
0: geography geography yeah. and
2: i don't know i i just found it to be a lot more dynamic mm. and personal mm-hmm. than your, your typical history class oh interesting okay
0: so you so you really enjoyed the study that you got to undertake while you were in an yes. undergrad uh-huh.
2: and because harvard had this concentration system which i think they've gotten rid of since then but you it wasn't major minor you had to meld your concentrations mm-hmm. and write a joint thesis if you were going to double concentrate. Mm-hmm. And so I got to like smush these disciplines together in a way that had like amazing amount of synthesis without even trying. Ah. I was the first person to ever put these two together. Oh nice. And I ended up writing this thesis about anatomical atlases and why photography, which was really deployed in these specific scientific ways in the late 19th century was never de- deployed to create Anatomical analysis. So mm-hmm. you know, to this day, people study from like pictures mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and not photographs, really, of the body. Like mm-hmm. you, you have your Gray's Anatomy, and yeah, like, yeah. what is it? Is it just? Does it serve a didactic function because it's clear in a way that photographs weren't? Or were there hmm. other kind of cultural implications ah. to photography and how it was used at the time that oh. made it? People resisted putting it, using it to take pictures of these like corpses. Oh, basically, it was a blast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was stressful, but it was <laughs> sure, a sure, blast. Sure, sure. I, yeah. I, I just, I was so. Enriched. I was so intellectually stimulated by the end of my college career, mm-hmm. and then I went to law school. <laughs> Wait, but did you
0: lose your mind at Harvard at all? You said you didn't. You didn't see your first like doobie being smoked until like your freshman you by year. By lose your
2: mind, you mean like stopping square?
0: What? <laughs> what does stopping square mean?
2: I mean, like, did I get cool and like, no, did you, no, like, cool did you, did
0: you like, were you streaking through the quad nude? Were you TPing the dean? No, like, did you? I never you... did
2: primal scream.
0: One more time?
2: That's what they called it before exam period, where you ran around naked through the quad. I never did it.
0: Okay. I was just, I didn't Cause know. Cause here's that the issue. The... There's only Ooh. so many black
2: kids who do it. And you, everyone's Probably. looking at you. Like, I remember fully when Marcus did it. Everyone <laughs> was looking. Also, he was tall as hell. Like, <laughs> Everyone was staring at Marcus, Marcus Marcus's naked self. Yeah, that's right. Because it was too obvious. If you can't do it while you're black. Everyone's no. looking at you.
0: Okay, I was also just using that as like a hypothetical <laughs> question. I didn't actually know that you were going to tell me about something called primal scream. Yeah,
2: primal scream. Um, it's
0: very cold also. Cool. So you didn't do that. But did you lose your fucking mind? Like just why you know, just I'm I'm popping a Molly before breakfast and we are gonna roll through classes today. No. no. I
2: notoriously <gasps> I this I don't no. I don't <laughs> say this. I know this is the opposite of cool. I would never lie about this because telling the truth makes me seem worse than in the lie.
0: Uh, the ooh. truth
2: is though that I've never even smoked
0: pot to this day. Are you being honest? Yeah. Are you being very serious? I'm truly serious. Why why? Are you avoiding it on purpose? Nobody ever it just never came up. That's not true. You went to Harvard.
2: I'm t- I told you the one time that I saw someone smoke pot in my college career and it wasn't even on my
0: own campus. But but I'm saying uh, Samantha wasn't walking down the hallway like like shotgun and hose first no. thing in the so morning. No, my
2: friends and I we've discussed what. So some of them smoked <laughs> Pot and they like found ways and they did things, but when we were all together, it never happened. And we were discussing why it was that the pot wasn't more of a presence in our college life. In retrospect, we're like, what happened? What was wrong? What? On? And I think part of it is that everyone lives on campus was cocaine
0: there had to be there maybe y'all just weren't doing the drugs because there's a lot of drugs being done so i will say
2: i did someone see people doing cocaine in a finals club i I truly didn't even get you didn't register what what was was. going on but in retrospect
0: they were all doing lines correct got you but you and your crew didn't even smoke weed in college
2: i remember people had like alcohol in their room Uh and like that was the
0: that was the main concern about getting written
2: up okay
0: but not not weed Okay, but what is keeping you from smoking weed at your big age now? No, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just wondering. I'm just saying. I'm just just saying. But is it just like you just like it didn't happen? So it's like uh, that's not something I have to do. You've never smoked weed before. No, that feels like an injustice. People are always our producer. You don't. You won't
2: even ingest. You won't even like eat it. It's not. You won't even. But no, I haven't. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: All right. Yeah, have you ever... So you've only ever been tipsy or drunk? Not, like, high on anything else other than alcohol? Correct. Wow.
2: Wow. Is this widely known? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's come up... I think it's come up on Bad Faith. Okay. We definitely talked about it on the campaign, although I don't know it ever made it into an episode. We were joking about doing a... 420 episode on the ah, campaign uh-huh. and our my producer then who is my producer now yeah. um, was like you should smoke for the first time on the air but as we all know the campaign ended uh, before 420.
0: Yeah that's right. <laughs> wow okay so you had to be ironic and go to an IV and not do drugs. Okay that's fine cool but but you there is no other way that you lost your mind like you didn't get into like skimming credit cards or fucking stealing somebody's mink from their you know great mama great grandmama, or whatever the fuck rich people call their no relatives. i
2: was in an acapella group
0: <laughs> i mean okay before we started recording i was ribbing her about being just a herb ass hoe and like this it doesn't get any more herbaceous than was, acapella that's pretty fine i that, so that was so it was just like nothing zany nothing edgy nothing nothing good
2: I never even threw up from alcohol until what? after go
0: away what do you mean until law school I
2: think it was the first time I ever even threw up really? from drinking too much <laughs>
0: still feel a way about her having never gotten high say what like how (laughs) anyway in part two we learn how she got radicalized which may sound ironic in that it was a result of going to harvard law school her unplanned exit from law to journalism and if she had a wand to wave what infrastructure she would erect for the left and all of the tequila we imbibed has homegirl making it plain. Okay, you hear me? <laughs> Ooh, uh, You can head on over to patreon.com slash what's left to do for both part two and the bonus episode. That's patreo dot com what's left to do. If Patreon isn't your thing and you'd still like to support this work, you can go to what's support and send us a donation in the tip jar. Alright, see you over on Patreon for part two and the bonus.